Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You ever feel like life has handed you the short straw? Like you're getting picked on? Here's one of the ultimate short straw stories. In the summer of 1945, Tsutomu Yamaguchi was wrapping up a three-month-long business trip for Mitsubishi Heavy Industries in Hiroshima. On August 6th, he was on his way to the train station with his, two of his colleagues and a ticket home when he realized he'd forgotten his travel pass and had to go back to get it. By 8.15, he was on his way back when the American bomber Enola Gay dropped the little boy atomic bomb near the center of the city, just three kilometers away. Yamaguchi says he recalls seeing the bomber in two small parachutes before there was this bright flash in the sky. The force of the blast knocked him off his feet, temporarily blinded him, ruptured his left eardrum, inflicted horrific burns over much of the top half of his body. When he regained consciousness, he crawled into a nearby bomb shelter where he spent the night. Determined to make it home to his wife, he was exposed to another dose of radiation the next day as he made his way deeper into the city, where amazingly some of the trains were still running. He returned home to Nagasaki, where he received treatment for his wounds. His friends didn't recognize him. His mother thought he was a ghost. But in spite of being heavily damaged and, and band, all bandaged up, he reported to work on August 9th. At 11 a.m. that day, he was describing the blast to his supervisor when the American bomber boxcar dropped the Fat Man atomic bomb over that city. His workplace once again put him three kilometers from uh, ground zero, but this time he was unhurt. In spite of his injuries, he lived until 2010. He was 93 years old. Less than a year earlier, he was finally recognized by his country as one of the rare double-bombing survivors. He spent his life speaking out for nuclear disarmament, saying that God had planted a path for him so that he might live to tell what happened. Now, you thought life was picking on you because now you have to buy another Powerball ticket you really can't afford because nobody won again last night. <laughs> I'm not sure life actually picks on people, okay, uh, as much as it presents them with a, maybe a winding path through life. Uh, one with lots of forks and, and uh, uh, unexpected turns. So many that we've come to accept them, or, or at least even try to plan for them, I guess. For example, uh, when do you stop to fill up your gas tank in your car? When the gauge reaches dead center? Oh my gosh, it's half empty. A quarter? That's my empty. Or when that little light that's been on starts dinging to tell you there's only about a, a, a mile downhill worth of gas left in the tank. You idiot, you should have planned for this. Being, yeah, you, huh? <laughs> Being, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking down, I'm looking up. I'm not looking at anybody, okay? But, you know, being stranded with no gas is no joke, uh, and neither is death. And yet we, mo we make jokes about that, right? You know some of them. Why are there so many older people in church? They're cramming for the final. I saw an ad for burial plots and thought to myself, that's the last thing I need. <laughs> that one is kind of funny. <laughs> Does the Bible take death lightly? No, not a chance. Death is the product of sin. It's the price for sin. It never figured into God's perfect creation, but it was allowed in when Satan convinced Adam and Eve that it wasn't enough to be loved by God. 
to be cared for by God, to have their every need provided for by God. No, he told them true happiness could only be obtained if they were like God. And to be like God, they would have to disobey God. That got them evicted from their happy garden home. And ever since then, mankind has had to struggle in a sort of desert of life by comparison. In a far from perfect world filled with far from perfect people. But while evil may sometimes seem to have won a skirmish in the battle against all that's good and pure and holy. And and, and, uh, death has become a part of life. Never forget that God won the war on Calvary and at the empty tomb. And that means hope for the future. This morning we get to look at what lies on just the other side of this world. A place where there are no more struggles. Where there are no more short straws. The realization that even the best of what we experience in this life, and it's certainly not all gloom and doom, is only a foretaste of that great heavenly feast and celebration to come. The Apostle John, in his vision that is the book of Revelation, talks about seeing a great multitude that no one could count from every tribe and nation and people and language. That tells us that heaven is open to anyone and everyone who uh, has embraced God's gift of faith to believe that Jesus suffered and died for them. And what a day it'll be. See it now with John. A gathering of people standing uh, uh, before the throne and the Lamb, Jesus himself. They'll all be wearing white robes. White is the liturgical color of the day. It symbolizes the purity, the righteousness of Christ, the very purity and righteousness that's been accorded to his people through his shed blood. The heavenly crowd is also carrying palm branches in their hands. Uh, The Jewish tradition of palm branches goes all the way back into the Old Testament, not only for decorations, but for victory celebrations. They symbolized victory. John would have been reminded of the the crowds that went out to meet Jesus on Palm Sunday uh, when as mankind's king he rode triumphantly into Jerusalem. Now I know heaven might sound like one long church service to some people, but I think they'll be surprised it's going to be more like a big celebration. Every Sunday worship service here in this world is really a little Easter celebration, but it's all pointing to the great celebration we'll enjoy with all those believers who have come and gone before us praising God of heaven along with us this morning. All through our lives, our time on earth is marked with uh, little plateaus, right? Like digital bookmarks on your computer. Good moments in life that help us overcome the not-so-good ones. Things like first dates, your first kiss, getting your driver's license for the very first time, or getting your old one renewed when no one you know is really comfortable riding with you anyway and or even driving in front of you anymore. But what do they know? A shiny, fresh driver's license is a great day in anyone's book. Weddings and anniversaries, uh, births and memorable vacations, special family moments. But there are also losses that mark our lives. Friendships impacted by relocations or the loss of loved ones who have made the final move to their heavenly home. Gone for now and missed, but not forgotten. Each one a happy reunion to look forward to when it's your turn to join the celebration that John is watching. All of them are anxiously awaiting the day Jesus returns because on that day, this imperfect world will be renovated and renewed and purified and made perfect once again when a separation between earth and the home of God will no longer exist. And he's watching these saints, these children of God by faith, and he's listening to them as he he does 
praising God and crying out as one in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The throne is surrounded by angels who fall on their faces, worshiping God, saying, Amen. Blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The apostle is clearly spellbound by this sight. And an elder attending John asks what was certainly on his mind, maybe even read his mind, who are these clothed in white robes and where have they come from? And John answers, sir, you know. And the elder goes on, these are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. They're what we call the church triumphant. In this world, we're part of the church militant. We still struggle with sin, with temptation, with all those kinds of things. But freed from these sinful bodies, this sinful world, we join the church triumphant one day. That's who we sing. Old Testament believers who look forward to the promised Messiah, members of the early church, uh, so many of whom went through a literal hell on earth for their faith in Jesus. John was the last living apostle. He endured to see those early followers of Christ suffer uh, terrible persecutions for their faith. And today it includes everyone who has uh, come to faith in the Savior since. Now Jesus had warned his disciples that tribulations would come. The life of the church isn't just one triumph after another. Uh, we'll all have those short straw moments in life, but that's the way of the cross. It's more like one cross after another. Faith doesn't lead us around suffering. It strengthens us through it. And that means you and I will face times when it feels like God has turned his back on us or abandoned us for other pursuits or has just plain forgotten about us. But these celebrants John is seeing are proof that God doesn't forget us and will never abandon us. Adopted into his family through the waters of holy baptism, washed clean from sin through faith in Jesus' own shed blood, our futures are secure. Reunions with those we've loved and lost who by faith are in heaven uh, even now are a sure thing, not a vague wish. God is with them and God is with us. He'll wipe away every tear. The robes we wear in this life are stained and, and it's soiled with sin, but in heaven they'll be white as snow because the elder tells John they've been washed white in the blood of Jesus. Each one of those saints is in heaven today, not because of the good works they did, not because of the exemplary lives they led. They're not there because they somehow deserved it. They're there because of who they knew. They're there because the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus washed those robes clean with the forgiveness his own shed blood for them provides. Now, it's easy for us to imagine how the crystal clear waters of baptism could, could wash away sin, but blood... Not so much, right? And yet God's way is different. You know, in Old Testament times, the entire sacrificial system for forgiveness required the shedding of blood. Blood represented life, and forgiveness comes at the highest possible price. Hebrews chapter 9 says that the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That was the basis of God's covenant with man. At communion, we recall the words of Jesus with his disciples the night before his crucifixion. Take and eat, he said. This is my body given for you. Take and drink. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. 
This was his gift to us, his last will and testament, put into effect as his body was broken and his blood was poured out on the cross as payment for all our sins. The prophet Isaiah promised, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It was the end, really, the fulfillment of that old uh, sacrificial system that, that had always pointed to that moment, to the sacrifice of Christ, because it was the pure untainted blood of our Lord, true God and true man, that still washes us clean today. That's what makes this text so great. You know, the people around the throne in John's vision are saints. That's just believers by Bible definition. Saints by virtue of their faith in Jesus' own shed blood for them. That makes them holy in God's sight. And yet many of them are members of our own family, our friends, our neighbors, Others are brothers and sisters in Christ who we know for a fact struggled with their sinful natures and fell short time after time, just like you and I. But there they are. Picture what John is seeing, who we must be seeing. You know, if you look closely, you'll see King David who committed adultery and murder. And there's Peter, the disciple who denied even knowing Jesus on the night of his arrest and trial. Not just one time, but three times. There's the dying thief on the cross who asks simply, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. They're all there because by faith they've all been washed in the blood of the Lamb, the once and for all time perfect sacrifice, Jesus Christ. What a beautiful picture that is of God's mercy. Today we celebrate that great multitude around the heavenly throne, celebrating their victory in Christ. Family members and friends, fellow believers in Christ, who have already made their transition through death to their heavenly home. The text is clear. Even though we saw them die, even though we buried them, and even though we miss them so very much, these saints of God who were once with us are more alive than ever in heaven today. The Apostle Paul said that in this world we don't see the things of God clearly, but someday it'll all be crystal clear. He's describing how it will be when we're in perfect communion with God. The elder in John's vision goes on to tell us more of what it'll be like. He says, He who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Wouldn't you like never to cry again? Never to experience pain again? Never to have your heart broken or feel lonely ever again? Wouldn't you like never to have any problems ever again? John's vision is your future. That's what God has waiting for you and I in heaven. And Jesus has made that future sure, baptized you into, into a saint. Your place has already been prepared. Now, yeah, maybe your halo tends to slip to one side now and then. Or maybe you think God gave you ears to keep it from falling down all the way around your neck. But you're still a saint, even when you don't feel much like one. Being a saint isn't about feelings. It's about what God has promised and declared. You know, one day someone will have to sit down and write your obituary. But on that day, as a child of the king, You'll be with that king. And that same throng of saints around the throne of God, even now, will have already turned to you, smiling, arms outstretched, to welcome you home. God is so good. 
Amen. Now may that very special peace of God that passes all understanding keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Amen.